on ABC Radio. You're with Michael Pavlich. Look, I said very excited by our next guest, who is the sole surviving member of a hugely formative and influential band. Uh, and I don't know if anybody have ever heard of the band Big Star. Certainly not a household name, but they're more popular now than they were 50 years ago when they put out their first album. Uh, and we'll kind of find out why. The legacy still lives on. Fortunately, we're joined by Jodie Stevens, who is the original drummer of the band Big Star. It's a huge pleasure to say good day to Jodie. Good morning, Jodie. Oh. Hi, Pav. Thanks for having me. No it's, worries. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you for coming along. And uh, look, it's a. Uh, an incredible legacy this band has left behind. Do you feel a lot of responsibility being this, the sole surviving member? I, uh, you know, I try to duck that responsibility and just, you know, appreciate playing the music and, and, and appreciate the audience we've developed over the last 50 years. Yeah, it, it could be a bit burdensome, but it's, uh, it's, it's a joy to keep playing that music from time to time and certainly include it uh, in, in, along with the, those pretty wrong songs that we play. It is a huge responsibility, if you like, because you're carrying the band's legacy, uh, and it is a huge legacy. I, I mean, the band, as I said, didn't get a lot of attention when it first came out. Then in the 90s, there was a bit of a reinterest in the band, and it took off, and then you, the band, uh, Big Star, were playing to a lot more people than they were in the 70s. 30 years later now, the band are perhaps bigger and more influential than everything. It seems like they've got a life of its own. What is the what is it about Big Star that sort of makes makes it so the longevity so important? I agree. I think it's a unique experience uh, with Big Star. I, I uh, we were lucky enough to hook up with Ardent and uh, Studios and John Fry, and get the, and then have John King as as the marketing guy for our records, who got it to all the writers and stuff. Where we failed was uh, distribution, but you know, over the years, it's uh, we just connected with with a lot of the the uh, the, the right uh, music writers, and so they kept mentioning us, and then other artists picked up on us and would pass the word along. It was just it's word of mouth. You, we had think, no internet, and in yes, as early as seventy eight, people in Australia were picking up, maybe even earlier. But I mean, it is it is a unique experience, and and you know, I I think people's voices and the way they deliver a lyric. Is timeless. I think melodies are timeless. Yeah. Uh, I, it's. I think an emotional experience or connection is timeless. So I think that's why it yeah. just it just builds. Well, speaking of time, in that, in that sense, do you think Big Star were ahead of their time? I don't know. It's hard to say. We were all, <laughs> you know, certainly influenced by the Beatles, and uh, and we were also big Stax fans and, and soul music fans, but. Um, it, uh, so there's a British invasion, which we were behind. Um, in, but maybe we got out front with, with a few things that, uh, in, in, in terms of, um, it, it was more relative to, to the way Alex and, and Chris and, and Andy were feeling with regard to lyrics, as opposed to, uh, I don't know, the only word I can think of is, is you know, a generic sort of, delivery of lyrics yeah. it was you know they're more about personal experiences and certainly the way they delivered them vocally so and the way they, their voices uh, <laughs> melted with each other as well but uh, you mentioned there about the british invasion was very influential and formative in in the writers in big star but it's the irony i suppose of that is 20 years later it was the english who embraced big star in a sense and 
uh, you know, it's kicked off the resurgence of interest. Oh yeah, well it was it was uh, you know we got back together. Alex and I got back together in '93, and uh, in April of '93, and John and Ken joined the band. So I'm 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 the the sole surviving original member of Big Star because they were officially Big Star members yeah. as of '93. And uh, so you know we had. <clears throat> We released a, a live recording and then it then hit the road, went to England and stuff. So it's been, you know, it's maybe 17 to, to 18 years after the release of our, our third record that over that period of time, we had started building an audience and, and could then go play, uh, you know, certainly the UK and, yeah. and, uh, um, and, and few you know, Spain and, and uh, some other places in Europe, and, and we got to Japan in 94. And I think you've, you've been to Australia. You took the, the new line-up to Sydney or brought them out to Sydney at one point, didn't you? We did. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a Big Star's third live. Oh, yep. And uh, with people who just who get together and like to perform that music. Um, we had a little string quartet and some players and, you know, Mike Mills and Chris Damey and, Mike Mills, of uh, course, from REM, one of the bands who claimed that they were hugely influenced by Big Star, as well as the replacements of another a number of other bands. There's a couple of Australian bands. Yeah, Tim Rogers can... joined us for that as well. That was fun. did he really? Yeah, he did. Okay. He was awesome. Yeah, he's a great, great singer-songwriter, Tim Rogers, and he was the one I was going to mention. You can definitely hear the Big Star sound in Tim Rogers' band UMI. That's all. As soon as I heard Big Star, I go, okay. <laughs> That's where Tim gets that from. Uh, obviously, you know, you're not just hugely influential on American and uh, uh, European artists, but also on Australian artists as well. Um, so it's just one of those sounds that the band developed that, you know, tickled people's ears and they thought, yep, I think I'd like to sound like that. But as you mentioned, it's not just the sound, it's also the words, the lyrics and the, the uh, arrangements and the compositions themselves. It is. I, uh, yeah, you know, there's something, uh, it's, there's a whole emotional story in the way that uh, certainly Alex and Chris to, to deliver lyrics, and and again, you know, I think that's what I think that's what the connection is. The, the two huge talents, uh, two fantastic guitar players, two fantastic singers, two amazing songwriters. You must have been sort of pinching yourself sitting back there playing the drums, thinking, "Wow, <laughs> got two pretty talented frontmen here." Um, it must have been a wonderful experience to be working with such dynamic, creative people. Yeah, it was a, it was an amazing experience. I, uh, you know, I'd had a band with my brother, and we'd written some songs and and done some recording. My brother Jimmy, but uh, when I got invited over to jam with Chris and and Andy and some other folks, it. Uh, and then got into Arden. It had never been into a studio like that before. Uh, and we had, you know, Chris and, and, and Alex were writing songs that uh, that was good to me and it's connected to me as, uh, you know, other artists that I grew up on and kind of learned how to play drums from. So I don't know. I went from doing primarily cover stuff to doing original material and it just um you know it just worked and that original material was uh, was so good that you didn't need to go back to the covers in some way right yeah no definitely not although you know we did cover a few things 
Do you wonder sometimes if the band had have received success? I mean, it's well documented how the band was really up against it, the number of record labels that sort of folded while the band were... Uh, were putting their albums out. They really, you were up against it in, as far as getting distribution. It was very difficult to get the records into the shops. Couldn't get on radio because the records weren't in the shop. There was just one problem after another. Do you wonder about how different it might have been if the band had have achieved some sort of success after those two albums? Not really. I, uh, it all worked out for us all. You know, uh, Alex went on to do solo stuff and, and was really happy doing that. He got to do what he wanted to do. And I uh, I started working here at Ardent Studios in, in uh, January of 87 and have been here ever since. So I've had a, you know, full-time job uh, and, and, and a remarkable one at that marketing Ardent Studios. Yeah. And then Andy went on, you know, he finished school and got a master's degree and but, you know, built a family, and he was he was a happy guy. This is the bass Chris player. Chris died early on in, yeah, in 78. Bell. Yeah. He didn't get to realize just what a connection he's had with people. He was affected, I think, by the lack of success of the band, as I'm sure it would have affected the band dynamic a lot, and um, you know, a lot of disappointment, so much work and effort put in, and yet it didn't seem to be getting the appreciation that everybody thought it deserved, even the music critics. So it would have been an incredibly frustrating period. I think it was for Chris. I, uh, cause you know, it was Chris was at the helm for the first record and, you know, pretty much as producer. It's not like certainly Alex had input and Andy and, and, you know, I, I didn't have, but I was, I was 17. They were a year older mm. when Chris and Andy and I got together when Alex joined, I think I'd just turned 18 and I was just so impacted by by the talent of those people i kept my mouth shut um just so i wouldn't screw things up um but uh yeah i uh i think chris was frustrated with the, the lack of success of the record but i think he was also frustrated that music writers kept spotlighting alex okay. and uh which to tell you the truth it was is perfectly understandable because if you don't know Big Star, you would know who Alex Chilton is because he's saying the letter. Yeah, on the it was the number one song in the United States in 1968, you know, he sang with the box tops. Yeah, he came to the band, Alex, with a bit of a reputation, or was it, or was it already a big star, almost a child star, um, with the box tops, the letter, and a wonderful song it is. Um, I, I just uh, a lot of people probably aren't that familiar with the material, so I wouldn't mind playing a big star song. Then we'll go on to talk about that you're coming to Australia, and the fact that you're, you're coming out here with your band, uh, those pretty wrongs. I just want—I've got a text here that says, and you may not know about this, so just say I don't know. Uh, it says uh, in the Cramps. I know Alex Chilton had a little bit to do with the Cramps. He produced them for a little while, and we played before the band uh, the the song Surf and Bird. You know. I don't know if you know, everybody knows the bird, the bird, the bird is the word. You know the song? I'm oh, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. And it says here that apparently uh, that the Cramps did a version of that song and Lux Interior gets so carried away, ends up naked by the end of the song. Um, do you know anything about uh, the work that was done uh, by Alex and the Cramps? You know, Alex produced the Cramps, pretty interesting band. Why was he attracted to that sort of music? Uh, I have no idea. I just think it was an adventure that... Uh he was off on, but I really, and the cramps were pretty cool, colorful. Uh, you know, had they had this kind of Adams family demeanor in the way they look. <laughs> yeah. 
But, uh, you know, they were, they were all sweet people and they just, you know, they got pretty wacky uh, when they performed, but, uh, yeah, Alex, Alex actually recorded that record at Sam Phillips here in Memphis. And, uh, and uh, he mixed it here at Ardent with John, with a guy named John Hampton. Okay. Look, let's have a listen to a song um, just so people can hear Big Star and can hear the sound of Big Star and how it was a formative influence for so many bands. I picked out a song, really hard to pick out a song here, I've got to say, Jody. There's so much material. Well, for three albums, it's an enormous breadth of diversity within the songs, the styles of the songs, the lyrics. So it was very difficult to pick out one. Uh, I have gone for the the song September Girls off the second big star album, Radio City. Can you tell us a little bit about this song? Sure. I, uh, you know, by that time, Chris had left the band, so Alex and Andy and I were, were left as a three-piece. And uh, September Girls is, is about, there's a line, I was your butch and you were touched. And to tell you the truth, I had no idea what that line meant for the longest time, but as it turns out, Butch was the name of a little puppy dog in a in a comic strip, and and uh, Butch would would tag along with his 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 girlfriend, and uh, like a little puppy dog, you know. But uh, I I you know it's it's one of those it's one of those songs that when you hear the the opening guitar, it it's it just chimes like millions of church bells or so I don't it's a it's a clarion call or something but you know something exciting is about to happen and that's just you know Alex's guitar performance and his sound and of course the way John Fry yeah. who was you know Arden's owner and, and our engineer just brilliantly captured it so you know from from the onset it kind of puts you on the edge of your seat and and, and raises your expectations <laughs> Big star and a track called September Girls on the radio this morning. We're very lucky and very fortunate to be joined by Jody Stevens, who's the original drummer of the band Big Star. And uh, yeah, having a chat with us this morning. Jody's about to come out to Australia with his new band, Those Pretty Wrongs, and they'll be out here in August. Uh, Jody, I'll just ask you a couple of songs. I mean, that song there, September Girls, it sounds like something out of the 90s. The, the way the guitars are played, the guitar sounds, even the way the vocals are sung, it really it doesn't sound like a 70s recording, much more like something that came 20 years later. Do you think, I asked you this before, do, uh, that you didn't think the band were necessarily ahead of their time, but when you hear comparisons that like the one I just made, it's a bit hard to suggest that perhaps they weren't, don't you think? Well, I think the attitude was a bit ahead of its time, okay. uh, but and I, you know, you know our, our musical references were maybe behind us. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It just uh, it in part we were lucky again to 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 have Arden Studios and John Fry because sonically, hmm. John Fry put that music ahead of its time to. I guess address what you were saying. That 
he the way he captured that Alex's Strat performance and and uh, hmm. um, Alex used a mando guitar for those little punch lines. Uh, the way he captured that and the drums and Andy's bass and the way that drives it. Uh, yeah, if 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 there's something ahead of its time about it, in 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 part anyway, it's it's the way John Fry captured it sonically. Yeah. I mean, Arden is a big part of the story. Arden, the Arden Studios and the record companies, but uh, and also is Memphis because it, I mean that's the other thing. It's unusual a town like Memphis that was a lot of different sorts of music were coming out of Memphis, but not necessarily guitar pop at that stage anyway. Is it sort of? Do you think those? Well, you all grew up in Memphis. Or around there, is it those influences, those Memphis influences? I mean, there's more recording studios and bars in Memphis than any other music town in in the world. It is possibly the greatest music town in the world. You all grew up there, surrounded by all the music that was being made in Memphis, but uh, the band didn't sound like a Memphis band. Do you think the actual where you grew up had a huge influence in the sort of music you were making? I think it had an influence for sure. I, but you know, we were pretty much all Anglophiles. You the English music. You were big, big on the British invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, along came '68, and Stax just uh, made a huge connection. Uh, and those are Otis Redding and those folks, Sam and Dave, and all. Yep. And the music that came out—they call it soul music for a reason, because it certainly reaches that deep. But my brother and I put a soul band together, and uh, and actually got a uh, a black lead singer, Calvin, that was just brilliant. When did you do that? Uh, in 68. Okay, all right. Mm. So, you know, Al Jackson, he was the uh, session player and he was a drummer for Booker T and the MGs. And he was a high record session player too. Um, certainly had had an influence on things in, in, in my world. I saw Steve, Steve um, Cropper as well, one of the other Booker T members. The guitarist he played as well in some of the sessions there. Oh yeah, he, well Steve joined us on uh, Femme Fatale on Big Star's third album. Very good. Uh, we, you mentioned all the British bands. Someone has suggested here the Birds were also an influence on the band. That's that's true. It wasn't just English bands. There were a couple of American bands that that certainly were an influence oh, on definitely. your sound. Yeah, yeah. I think Alex listened to was listening to the Birds maybe around that time in particular. I remember hearing an interview with him, and he, he brought up the birds, and and certainly the sound of that guitar. While it's reminiscent of, an, of a twelve string, it's really a strat, a really bright strat. Yeah, it's funny. It's, then, it sounds like know, a Rickenbacker, but it's actually a Stratocaster, which is in the treatment of yeah. it. Yeah, and then like I said, there was a Mando guitar that he played those little stabs on. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Look, as we say, it's, uh, you know, 50 years later, you're still keeping the legacy alive. You're about to tour Australia with your new band, uh, Those Pretty Wrongs. We'll play one of those songs in a second, but uh, do you do many big star songs in your set? We'll do a few this time. Uh, I think about 30 minutes worth. Okay. Uh, I think more than we normally do, I, uh, which I'm, you know, I'm kind of thrilled about. And what sort of crowds are you uh, drawing? You know, pretty good, the t- the two of us. We haven't really, we've just been out once this year. I mean, COVID had a big impact on us and traveling. And, and Luther lives in Pasadena and, and I live in Memphis. So uh, most of our dates are elsewhere outside of Memphis. Um, we get, 
we did uh, just we we played Rough Trade Records. We did an in store there in New York City in Rockefeller Center, and then we did uh, Union Pool in Brooklyn and uh, smaller venues for us. Uh, but this time out, we'll have uh, BT our, our and Love Police touring. They're providing a couple of extra musicians that'll join us on on some songs. Uh, a bass player and drummer. I'll play drums on some songs. Uh, I was, I was that wondering I'm not about singing. that. So not all the songs you're playing drums. Yeah. A much uh, a much younger not, man's instrument, not, Jody. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I don't. I don't know. I'm probably a better drummer than I was back then. I was just being a bit cheeky. Uh, yeah, no, no. I know. I, well, the only reason I said that, because, boy, I hate practicing, and, <laughs> but I do it. You wouldn't be the first, drummer that, you wouldn't be the first can, drummer that said that, Jody. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't be. Oh, uh, but, yeah, so if I'm not singing, I'll be uh, playing drums on a few songs. Right, and right. Uh, if I'm singing and, and we have, uh, you know, the two backing musicians uh than the other person will be playing drums. You mentioned Luther there, Luther Russell, who is uh, your co-contributor for this this band. Uh, he uh, he's got a bit of a connection there too. Was he in the Wallflowers? Is that right? No, he would. Uh, Luther was in a band called the Boot Heels that included Jacob, included ah, Jacob Dylan. Okay, before and they the just had a recent release that was really a it was a rehearsal recording. Uh, but it's brilliant. Wow, it just sounds amazing. The materials. Pretty incredible, but uh, Luther has been a solo artist for a long time, and and uh, you know just kind of a brilliant songwriter, you know all his own. But it's uh, I was lucky to hook up with Luther. I'd known him since '91, and uh, so the two of us, um, you know, do what we do is is is. I don't know. It just worked. The songs worked, and. I've never written, you know, I thought we might co-write about four songs together initially, and now we have like 34 songs. Hmm. Um, well, we're about to hear one of those. 34 songs later in our, our third album later. We're about to hear a new September song, one of the, one of the songs from this, this particular band. Let me go through your dates. You're coming out here, you'll be 5th of August is your first date. You'll be playing at the Minion Town Hall, going to Sydney, uh, also going to Brisbane and going to Melbourne as well, a couple of dates there, so... Look forward to seeing you when you're out here, Jody. Thanks. We're, we're, we're both thrilled to be coming back and grateful to uh, BT and the Love Police Touring folks. And it'd be great for those uh, artists, the, all those fans who out, live outside of Sydney to, you know, to come and hear your material. So we just, I don't think we've had a chance yet, so it'll be great to see you. Um, now we're going to play a new September song from Those Pretty Wrongs, your new band. What can you tell us about this one? You know, the way we write songs is, is we have the, the luxury of time and, and being inspired by things. And New September song just got started uh, midsummer, and um, Luther sent me some music and, and a song title, September Song. And uh, I just started writing lyrics for it, just that were inspired by my surroundings, like a... a a, a kind of a late afternoon walk in this uh, this uh, big park area here in Memphis, and you know the opening line is the frogs of a summer night sing, and bonfires illuminate the trees, layered ribbons of a cool cool breeze, uh, announcing fall's awakening. I it just uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of what inspired it. But Luther got it got it going with the with the song title and the music. Very nice. Uh, fascinating chat with you, Jody, this morning. Appreciate you giving us your time very much. And it's nice to be able to tribute to a band that was such a formative influence on so many artists. And it's great to be able to pay tribute to them all these years later. And well done for keeping the legacy going. And anybody who's interested in seeing uh, your new band, those, those pretty wrongs, they can catch up with them on mostly in the eastern states in August when you're out here. Jody, thanks heaps for your time. Thank you, appreciate it. The frogs of a summer night.